Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. My name is Doug, if you don't know me, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we're delighted you joined us this morning. Today, we're going to continue in a series that we jumped in a few weeks ago called Beginnings. And the whole purpose and the, the premise of this series is being able to go back to some things, go back to the beginning, go all the way back to the book of origin, the book of Genesis, and to go back to the beginning and to discover some things and maybe rediscover some things about who God is, some things that are foundational truths, truths that not only shape how we live our lives, but they grow our faith. And so we're going all the way back to the beginning. And as we began this journey, we started with looking at who God is. And we discovered how God is eternal, but yet this eternal God is also a God who's intricately involved with his creation. That's a good news, isn't it? That the God who created all things is the God who cares about you and me. And so we went from there and we started talking about what God does and, and how God does things. And so we talked about how God spoke the world into existence. Ten times he said, let there be, and what? There was, right? Ten different times. But this God who spoke the world into existence, this God who creates things, is also God on the seventh day he also rested. Not because he was exhausted, not because he was tired, but because he wanted to set an example for you and I of how we need to spend time and we need to have a Sabbath. We need to have a day to rest and to honor and to refresh and to love the Lord just a little bit differently on that seventh day. And then last week we moved from there. We began to talk about the responsibilities of humanity, in particular the responsibility as it relates to marriage, how we are called to leave, cleave, and what? Become one, right? And then last week, we kind of jumped from there, and we, we looked at Genesis 3, and we saw the fall of humanity. We saw Adam and Eve. And we saw, hopefully, maybe you've not thought about this, but hopefully, last week, you were confronted with this truth. We, too, have a real enemy. And that enemy is the same enemy that Adam and Eve faced. That enemy is crafty. That enemy is subtle. That enemy is very, very uh, thoughtful in their attacks. And we saw that that enemy had a, a, a kind of a, a scheme of attack. He wanted to create doubt, right? He wanted to bring deception. And ultimately, he wanted to get that place to where we, where we began to let the desires of the world invade our hearts and our lives. And then we saw what sin does, right? Now, that was probably the least fun part of last week, wasn't it? Because most of us can resonate with Adam and Eve. Like, how many of you ever sinned and blamed somebody else for what you've done? That wasn't, I mean, I want you to respond. How many, this side of the room, nobody sinned and done that, right? But I mean, like, I mean, we've all done that, right? We've tried to hide. We feel shame. There's consequences to our sin. So we saw the reality of sin. But I hope here's what you walked away with last week. That while we have an enemy who attacks, and while sin sends us down a path we desperately don't want to go, at the end of last week, we were still reminded that in face of all of that, God still had a plan for rescue. God still had a plan to rescue Adam and Eve. There was a future rescue that was going to come with Jesus, and a future rescue we're going to see when Jesus comes again, but there was also a present rescue, how God allowed them. God provided for them an animal to be sacrificed so that they could be covered. It was a picture of how our sin is covered, which is a beautiful picture of how, what Jesus has done for us. And so we talked about the fall. And then today we're going to move on to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at the continued fallout. Of sin. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 4 is where I'm going to be this morning, and we're going to read much of chapter 4, but I'm going to start with reading the first seven verses, and I am going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word this morning. If you're glad to be here this morning, say amen. amen. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. 
And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought uh, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do what is right or do what is well. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to, contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And my prayer is simple, Lord, that we would see the truth in this passage and we'd be able to take this truth and apply it to the truth of our lives. So God, speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a seat if you would. Now, as we look at these first seven verses, really what I see in these first seven verses is kind of the setting for sin. It's kind of it's kind of the the context of the sin that we're about to see. In fact, what we're going to see in a few moments is probably one of the most heinous acts of sin that we see in the Bible altogether. There's a lot of things, but this is probably the most heinous of all acts is what's going to happen in a few verses. So the first 7 verses kind of give us the setting for the sin. So right out of the gate, we see there's two brothers, right? There's Cain and Abel. Cain is the oldest brother. And he was a farmer. And then you have Abel, who's the younger brother, and he was a shepherd. He took care of the sheep. So we've got two brothers. Adam and Eve had two sons this time. And then we know we have two brothers, but then we saw in the passage that there is two offerings. Let's go back and read verse 3 and 4. It says this, In the course of time came brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. Now, just stop there for just a moment. So what we find out is that this Cain and Abel, these two brothers, there was a time that they brought an offering to the Lord. Obviously, Adam and Eve had taught their boys this idea of routine offerings to the Lord. Now, we're not talking about sacrifices. We're not talking about sacrifices that cover sin. That hasn't come yet. I mean, as far as Cain and Abel is concerned, we're just talking about they were taking an offering to the Lord. They were giving of what they had, and they were giving it to the Lord. So obviously, as parents, Adam and Eve did a really good job teaching their sons, you need to make sure that you're offering some things to the Lord. And if you notice there, let's look at Cain's offering first. What did Cain bring to the Lord? He brought of the fruit of the ground. But I want you to notice the verse again. Notice what it says here. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So here's what it means. Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground because he was a farmer. That would make sense, right? He farms. That would make sense. He would bring the fruit of the ground. But you notice there it says he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Here's what that means. Here's how you could translate that out. It means he brought some of much. Like all this fruit of the ground and Cain goes out and he grabs some of it. There was nothing, the point is, when he brought this fruit, I'm sure the fruit of the ground was pleasing to the eye. I'm sure aesthetically to the eye, it looked wonderful because fruit of the ground was probably a beautiful offering to bring. But there was, the point is, there was nothing special about this offering. Cain just went out, out of much, and he grabbed some. Some theologians would say that what Cain brought was leftovers. Some theologians would go as far as to say, even though the text doesn't really lean that way, that after the harvest was over with and the residual was left out there, that he went and got the leftovers. I don't know if that's true or not, but the point is, what he offered the Lord had nothing special about it. There was nothing unique about it. He just goes out of all this fruit that he's got, he goes like, oh, I'll take a little bit of that. I think I'll take a little of that. That looks pretty good. And just takes it and he gives it to the Lord. Nothing special about his offering. 
some of much. Look good, but nothing special. And then you've got Abel on the other side. Look, you know, let's go back and look what Abel did. And it said that Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And he said, listen, he brought the firstborn of the flock. In other words, here's what Abel did with all his sheep. He intentionally set aside the firstborn and the best to give it to God. Are you with me in this church? Uh, Cain goes out and just grabs some of much. Hey, here's a lot out here. I'm going to take this, that, and the other. Abel goes, no, no, no. My God is worthy, so I'm going to take the first of all that I have, the firstborn and the best, and I'm going to set it aside, and I'm going to give that to the Lord. Out of all that I have, I'm going to give the first, the best. It goes to God. And it says something that none of us really think about. And he took their fat portions. You're like, what in the world is that all about? Well, in that culture, fat portions were viewed as a luxury, not in people, but in animals, all right? So it was, it, was, it was viewed as a luxury. So it wasn't like I'm just giving God my best. I'm also giving God what is most valuable, the fat portions. Now, I'm sure that Abel's offering was not aesthetically pleasing to the eye, right? I'm sure it looked like a bloody mess that he took to the Lord. But guess what? There was something special about his offering, Right? Out of all that he had, he intentionally set aside the first, the best, the most luxurious, and said, I'm going to give that. Before I do anything else, I'm going to give that to the Lord. Cain, some of much. Abel, the best. And then we see two responses to this. God responds in two different ways. Let's go back to verse 4, and look what he says. And it says, and the Lord God had regard for Abel, means he accepted it, and his offering but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Now here's what happens here. I mean, there's two responses. To Abel, how did God respond? He accepted it, right? He accepted Abel's offering. Now, they both brought probably some good stuff, but Abel set aside the best of the best, the fat portions, the best, the first, and the best, and he set that aside intentionally to give it to God. Cain just goes out and goes, I'm going to take a little bit of the leftovers, I'm going to take a little of this, a little of that, I hope this works. And with Abel, it says God had regard. God accepted it. Why? Here's why God accepted Abel's offering. Because his heart and his motives were right. His heart was to offer God the best that he had. And his motive was, I want to honor and I want to worship the Lord. Because listen, quite frankly, he is worth it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe God's worth your best? Do you really believe that this morning? I hope you do because Abel got that. Abel said his heart was right, his motives were right, and God accepted and had regard for his offering. It says, then for Cain, God had no regard. God did not accept Cain's offering. Why? Because his heart was not right. His heart wasn't about giving God the best. And his motives weren't right. His motives, we see nowhere in here this notion of, you know, setting aside a best because God is worth it. We don't see a heart for worship or to honor. Maybe Cain just did it out of obligation because mom and dad tell me I'm supposed to, so I think I'll do this, and I'll just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Nobody's going to care. We don't know, but at the end of the day, God did not accept Cain's offering because his heart was not in the right place and his motives were all wrong. Now, here's what I find interesting about the story. You've got two brothers, two kinds of offerings, and two responses from God. Now, can we all agree, we, based on the way I described the offerings, we too would have been more pleased with Abel's offering than Cain's offering? Can we agree with that? Not everybody. Can we agree with that? 
Okay, so when you look at the story, what I find interesting is that as a result of what happens, it says that Cain is angry and his face is downcast. That phrase, uh, his face fell or face is downcast, could be translated in the Hebrew as he was depressed. So he was angry, distraught, and depressed. Now, here's what I find humorous about this. Why was he angry? Ever thought about that? Why was he angry? Well, he was angry because God didn't accept it. Yeah, but why was he angry God didn't accept it? Because think about it. Here's logically the process. So Cain is saying, God, I want you to bless with the best that you have for my half-hearted offering. You catching that one? God, I want you to give me the best that heaven can offer. I want you to bless me, but I'm going to give you a half-hearted offering, and I'm angry that you're not going to give me that. I'm angry even though I offered you something. It may not have been the best. I'm angry you're not going to bless me, God. I'm angry you didn't accept what I offered. And so therefore, Cain was depressed. He had downcast. He was distraught. He was frustrated. And I find it interesting that Cain was willing to give half-heartedly to the Lord, but expected the Lord to give him his best. Now, here's why I find that interesting. Because we do the same nonsense, don't we? Come on, don't we? We give God our half-hearted offerings. We give our half-hearted time, our attention, our, our, our devotion, commitment. We give half-hearted, but when it comes to asking the Lord to bless us, what do we want? Man, we want the floodgates of heaven to open up, and we want all the blessing, and we want God to give us his best. Well, he did because he gave us Jesus, right? He gave us his best. But we fight the same battle that Cain fought. And then I love what happens next. God begins to question Cain. Let, let me read this to you again. It says, The Lord God said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do what is right or do what is well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is well, sin is crouching at the door. Here's what God says to Cain. Man, why are you so upset? You know this. You know that you gave me a half-hearted offering. Look, look, Cain, you know this was not acceptable. Come on, why are you so upset, Cain? You knew this wasn't going to be acceptable. You knew, I mean, do you remember when you were in school and you were told to turn your homework in? And you thought, if I could just do just enough homework to get just a high enough grade to, pass, you know, to get a C, I mean, that's at least the way I thought, just enough to get a C and to move on, and you turned it in. And when you turned in, you thought, okay, I'm going to get 100% on everything I turned in, and it comes back, you got an F. Why? Because even what you turned in wasn't all that good anyway, right? And what did you do? You needed your best. You need to work hard. And so Cain's like, Cain, you know why. You know why this wasn't accepted. But then God says this to him, and I love this. Because if I'm God, and if you were God, wouldn't you at that moment really rebuke Cain hard? I mean, wouldn't you like come after Cain and go, hey, listen, Cain, you saw what your brother gave. You knew what you're supposed to give. You didn't do it. I'm extremely upset with you. And immediately, I would have thrown consequences Cain's way. But is that what God did? No. God showed him grace out of the gate. And here's what he says to Cain. If you will do what is right, Cain, won't you be accepted? In other words, I know what you brought me is not what I wanted. I know what you brought me isn't acceptable. You know it too, Cain. But I'm just going to tell you, here's where we're going to go from here. If you will just choose to do what is right, we're going to be good. We're going to be accepted. Hey, Cain, listen. You blew it. You know it. I know it. But I'm telling you, let's do a do-over here. Just go back and do what is right. Bring me the best that you have, and you'll be accepted. But then God offers Cain a warning. He said, but if you don't, Cain, listen to me, listen. If you don't, 
Sin is crouching out the door, ready to overtake you. Now, here's what he's saying. Listen, Cain, if you want to make this thing right, if you're so upset, listen, here's the way to make it right. Just go back. Just have a, have a mulligan here. Have a do-over. Just go back and do what is right. You know what's right, Cain. Just do that, and all will be accepted, and we'll move forward. But if you don't, literally, sin's waiting on you. It's the idea that if you make a bad choice, and you were to walk through those doors outside, it was like sin is crouching behind the door, ready to pounce on you. Have you ever seen like a like the Discovery Channels where the, the, the uh, lions or the tigers I like the cheetahs, and they'll kind of inch up on something, and then they pounce on them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody else watch Discovery Channel? Okay, get off the news, watch some Discovery Channel, all right? That's the imagery here, that sin is going to pounce on us. So here's the point. Sin, you've got a, or Cain, you've got a big decision to make, man. You can either choose to do what's right and be accepted, or you can choose to go down the path. Listen, Cain, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to take you faster and further than you ever want to go. And if you go down this path, sin is waiting to consume you and to pounce on you and to overtake you. I'm just telling you, Cain, you go this direction, do what's right, accept it. You go this direction, sin's going to take over. Cain was at a crossroads in his life. He had a choice to be made. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to notice. And that's the choice of sin that Cain made. Look at me in verse 8 and 9. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Would you love to have known what that conversation was about? Come on, would you love to have known? Well, I wonder, was it like, Abel, why'd you show me up? I'd love to know what happened. We don't know, but it says this, that Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, and he killed him. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now listen, the choice that Cain had to make, the choice that he had to make was either to do what's right and be accepted or to do what is wrong. Go down the wrong path and sin was ready to pounce on him and to overtake him. Cain had a moment to make a decision. And Cain did not choose to do what is right. And he chose to let sin pounce on him and he made a choice to sin. Let's be more specific. He made a choice to murder his brother. Now, I know there's a lot of heinous things that happen in the world, terrible things, but I just want to tell you, as I read Scripture, this has got to be the, one of the most violent things that could have ever happened in Scripture, that one brother has only one, the, that Cain has one brother, Abel, at the time, and he decides that what he's done is so, is so you know, disparaging to him that he goes and he kills his brother. He made a choice to murder him. It says there that he rose up against Cain. That literally means that he let his emotions take over. Any of you ever made a decision that was emotional? How well did that go? Doesn't go well, right? So his emotions took over, and he goes and he kills his brother Abel. And it says here that he rose up and he murdered him, and he killed Abel. Listen, the thing is, he would rather, instead of deal with his own heart, his own wrong motives, he would rather go kill his brother whose heart was right. Now, do you think Cain wanted to take responsibility for for the choice he had to make? Did you think he wanted to take responsibility for offering a wrong offering to God? No. He just wanted to make things the way he wanted them. So instead of dealing with the condition of his heart, what did he do? He killed his brother whose heart was right. And he made a choice to sin. He made a choice to murder his brother. And But not only that, he made a choice to cover it up. Did you pick up on that when God says, hey, Cain, where's your brother Abel? Did God know what had happened? Yes. 
What's he doing? He's giving Cain a chance like he did Adam and Eve to take responsibility for their actions. And Cain responds like this. I don't know. Not my responsibility. So not only has he made a choice to kill his brother, now he's made a choice to try to cover it up. Are you seeing the cycle of sin that we saw with mom and dad that's now happening with their oldest son, Cain? Are you beginning to see the cycle that sin puts us in and how we don't want to take responsibility and how we like blaming other people and we don't want to take any credit for what we've done? Nothing about this story does Cain ever go, hey, I blew it. Are you beginning to see that? Now, why is it important for us to see it? Because this is not far from our stories. We struggle with the same stuff Cain struggled with. And he made a choice to sin. And that leads me to the last thing I want you to notice today. And that's the consequences of an unrepentant heart. I just want to read verse 10 through 12. It says this. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you will work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He said, here's the consequences. Can you ready? First of all, creation is groaning over what you've done. You've killed your brother. You've killed him, and his blood has gone into the ground, and even creation is groaning over what you've done. But knowing that, Cain, listen, I'm going to tell you that you, you, this farmer who's always worked the ground and gotten your produce from the ground, no longer will the ground be productive for you. You will no longer ever find yourself in a place that the ground is going to produce for you ever again. You're going to walk your days on this earth, and the ground is never going to be your friend again. Even creation, Cain, is going to rebel against your actions. You may be a farmer but no more, because the ground is no longer produced for you ever again, Cain. And on top of that, listen, you're going to be a fugitive. And some translation says a vagabond, which means a wanderer. You're going to spend the rest of your days with no place to call home. Yes, we know that he settled in the area of Nod, but at the end of the day, settling means he kind of camped there for a little bit, but it wasn't home for him. You're going to spend the rest of your days, Cain, wandering, wandering, searching, without rest, without peace, without fulfillment. That's how you're going to spend the rest of your days, Cain. Now, I'm just thinking here, if, I, if I'm Cain, and if you were Cain, at that moment, do you think you might have paused a little bit going, you know what? This was not a good thing that I've done. I mean, God has shown me grace with the bad offering. God had every right to kill me because I killed my brother. But God has shown me grace. And yes, he's cursed me, but he's let me live. Do you think there was a moment for Cain that may he, maybe he even thought about just pausing, going, okay, God, I blew it here. No, because look what happens next. Cain goes on, and as a result of what got these consequences, Cain begins to complain to God. Look with me, verse 13 and 14. He says this, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Any of you ever grounded as a teenager and felt the same way with your parents? This is just too much, right? The, the, the punishment doesn't fit what? The crime, right? And that's what Cain's saying. He's complaining to the, listen, come on, come on, follow me. He just offered something to the Lord that wasn't satisfactory. And instead of doing a redo, a mulligan, and making it right, he goes out and kills his brother. He has no ability to be complaining to God at all, right? He has no, there's no credibility with him and his complaints toward God. But he complains, and he says, verse 14, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me, they will kill me. Poor, pitiful me. 
right? You ever feel like that? <clears throat> Pour a for me, God. God, listen, listen, what you've done is just too severe, God. People are going to come kill me. Well, didn't you just kill your brother? But they're going to come after me. Now, in this 13 and 14, do you see a moment where, where Cain shows remorse for what he's done? Do you see any kind of picture where he repents of what he's done going, I'm repenting because what I've done was sinful. I've broken your heart, God. I've killed my brother. I've broken the hearts of my mom and my dad. And I repent and I turn and ask you to change me, Lord. Do you see that in this passage? No. You just see whining and moaning and groaning, going, God, it's just going to be too severe for me, this punishment. And God, people are going to pursue me because you've marked me, and now they're going to kill me. Now, just pause. If I was God, and I'm not, I'd be like, you deserve it, bro. Wouldn't you? Come on, come on, don't be old, old, holier than thou. Wouldn't you? I would have said it a long time ago, right? But once again, hear me on this. Once again, God extends grace to Cain. Now, if there was ever a picture of God extending grace to someone who didn't deserve it, we see it here. And the same thing's true for us. Look what, how God extends grace to Cain in verse 15 and 16. Look what he says. Then the Lord said to him, no, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any found that he should attack him. Then the Lord Cain, uh, then Lord, I'm sorry, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God showed him grace. Listen, here's what he said. Okay, Cain, listen, I'm going to still show you grace. I'm going to preserve your life. I'm going to mark you, and nobody is to touch you. Nobody is to kill you, because if they do, I'm going to bring my wrath sevenfold. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't want any of it, right? I'm going to preserve your life, Cain, but the same token, you're still never going to be able to be in the, my presence again. Now, I want you to hear something this morning that maybe you never thought of. God extends Cain grace, and within the context of grace, there's love and there's justice. Did you hear me on that? When God demonstrates grace to us, his justice is as much loving as his demonstrations of love toward us. And he loved Cain and extended grace to Cain and said, I'm going I'm to preserve your life. But there's got to be justice, Cain. I'm casting you out of my presence. Never again will you be in my presence again. Can you imagine, can you, listen, can you imagine the anguish that probably would have caused Cain to go that never again will I be in the presence of the Lord? That's terrible. But God extends him grace. God could have taken him out, but he didn't. And so when you look at Cain's story, I mean, I would love to give you, and they lived happily ever after story, right? But when you look at Cain's story, what you see is a guy who is confronted with a decision to be made, a choice to be made. Hey, you've blown it once. I'm giving you a mulligan, Cain. I'm gonna, we're going to make this right. Just go back and do what's right, man. You know what's right. Go do it, and then you'll be accepted. But Cain chose to sin. Cain killed his brother, tried to cover it up, and with that came incredibly stiff consequences. God demonstrated his grace to Cain through love, but also through justice. Now, when I look at the story, there are four takeaways that I think we should have from this story. Four things that we need to be able to take and apply it to our own lives. And here's the first one. God wants our best. Are you with me on that today, church? Come on, are you with me on that today, church? God wants our best. Now, Doug, what are you talking about? I'm talking about everything. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, that we do everything as unto the Lord, that God wants our best. So let's just talk about our areas, okay? Does God want your best when it comes to your finances? Yes. 
I mean, Scripture is clear that we are to give back to the Lord. We call it the tithe. You can also give an offering, which is above the tithe. But God wants your best. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that we're to be a cheerful giver, not begrudgingly, not going, well, here's my leftovers. I mean, many of us, that's how we view giving financially. It's like, we'll have a little bit left over. I'll give it to God. No, no, no. It's the first thing we should consider. Now, listen, God wants our best in our finances. Let me say something else. God wants our best in our devotion. I said this before. We have a lot of people that call themselves Christians that are committed to everything but are loyal to nothing. He demands our best when it comes to our devotion. He demands our best. I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but think about this. Here's what I mean by this. Some of you get up in the morning and you hope you have time during the course of your day to have time with God, to spend time with God. Is that giving God your best? Trying to work God into your day? No, no, you work your day around what? Your time with God. You, whether it's in the morning, afternoon, evening, I don't really care, but you need to make sure that you have a time that you spend in his word, that you spend in prayer, that you spend time with God just meditating on who he is and what he's done. Because listen, you will never work God into your day. You must work your day around God. He deserves your best. He deserves my best. And the question is, is he getting our best this morning? Is he getting the best in our relationships? Is he getting the best in your parenting? Is he getting the best in your marriage? Is he getting the best in your career? Is he getting the best in your finances? Is he getting the best in your commitment and your devotion? Are you simply giving God your best in every area? Are you giving him leftovers? Now hear me on this church. For some of us, man, this should be really indicting for us when I've got to raise my game. So the first thing I think we take away is that we need to make sure that we're giving God our best. The second takeaway is this, that when we face choices, how many face choices? Every day, all the time? That when we face choices, listen to me, hear me on this, that we choose to do what is right. Choose to do what is right. We all face choices every single day. And every single day, we're at a crossroads of which way we're going to choose to go, greater obedience to God or greater disobedience to God. And I'm just saying, when you're at that moment, when you have a choice, when you're at a crossroads, despite what you feel, choose to do what is right in God's eyes. Not your eyes, but God's eyes. Because if you don't, hear me, if you don't, sin is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce on you, waiting to overtake you. And can I just be frank this morning? Some of you are got some choices you need to be making in your life. You've got some choices in relationships. You've got some choices in your career. You've got some choices with your finance. You've got some choices that you've got to make this morning. And you need to decide this morning, am I going to choose to do what is right? Or am I going to let sin overtake me? See, some of you are like Cain this morning. You're angry. You're angry at the Lord. You're angry at somebody. You're angry at your situation. Maybe some of you are downcast this morning. You're distraught. You're depressed. And you're like, what am I going to do? Listen, for all of you that are angry, distraught, struggling this morning, all you need to do is to do what is right. One thing I love about Don Jacobs, one thing I learned early on from him, he has this saying he says all the time. In the beginning, I'm like, well, that, that's kind of good, but what about long term? What about big picture? But the more I've heard him say it, the more I'm like, that's how I need to live my life. And he says it this way, just take the next right step. You know, many of us, we plan out our lives. Anybody like that? How about we just take the next right step? Do the next right thing. The third takeaway I think we take from this passage is this, is that God is, that sin, oh, I'm sorry, that sin always brings consequences. That when we rebel against God, 
it never goes unnoticed. You can cover it up. You can hide it. You can ignore it. But God knows it. And there will always be consequences. That's why it's important for us to repent, to restore our relationship with God so that God can grow us and move us on. Here's the fourth thing I think we can take away, and it's this, is that God is always willing to extend his grace. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that this morning? Come on, aren't you thankful for that this morning? I don't know about you, but I'm a messed up dude. Anybody else messed up in the room? I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I mean, I, I, I mean I, if you knew all of my life and my story, my thoughts, you'd be like, man, you are not qualified to do anything for God. But listen, I am so thankful this morning for God's grace. I'm thankful that his grace is a beautiful blend of love and justice in my life. I have felt the disciplined hand of God, but I know that discipline comes from a grand love that he has for me. I am thankful for his grace this morning. And no matter where you've been and what you've done and how far you think you've gone, he's always willing to extend his grace to you. If not, he would have wrote Cain off a long time ago, wouldn't he? But even in the end, he showed him grace. So here's something I want you to think about this morning. For those of us that are followers of Christ, I think there's three responses I hope that we have for this. Number one, maybe this morning we just need to repent. Maybe we need to look at our lives and look at the choices we've been making, look at the sin we've allowed ourselves to get into, and just repent. And you know what the word repentance means? It means I was walking this way and had a change of heart, and now I'm going this way. Lord, I was deep into this sin. I was deep into this secret sin. I was walking down this path, but Lord, I know it's sin. I know it's rebellion, and God, I ask you to forgive me and to change my heart and to change my life. I'm telling you, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to spend time every day repenting of our sin. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself, at least when I was younger, I would pray something like this, God, forgive me for all my sins. And then I got into seminary and studied 1 John where it says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. That literally translates, if you confess each and every sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you in each and every sin. The point is that when we make confession, there should be a recollection of what we've done to break the heart of God. Can I just tell you, when you start walking through the laundry list of the sins that we commit every day, we understand that repentance needs to be a regular part of our lives. And so today, maybe you as a believer need to repent. Maybe today you need to commit to a greater level of obedience. Hey, Lord, I, I like Cain, I'm at a crossroads, and I'm going to choose to do what's right. I'm going to choose greater devotion to you, Lord. God, I'm going to choose greater commitment to you. God, I'm going to choose to be more, more of a better steward of my finances. God, I'm going to choose. I've, I've never, I've never, I said I'm a follower of you, but I've never taken a step of baptism, and I've never let the world know that I've been raised to life, and I need to follow in believers' baptism. God, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a commitment of greater obedience to you this morning. Some of you may need to make that decision. And then some of you, maybe what you need to do as a believer is celebrate his grace. I don't know about you, but I, I have a problem sometimes of keep beating myself when I'm already down. Anybody else struggle with that? And today, I'm just saying we need to celebrate his grace. Celebrate that he loves us. Listen, you don't have to understand it. You just get to enjoy it. You don't have to understand the heart and the mind of God. We just have the opportunity and the privilege to enjoy that he shows us love and also make sure there's justice. And so this morning as a believer, as we sing in a moment and we talk about the victory that we have in Christ, would you just celebrate what he's done? But then for some of you, finally, maybe who don't know Christ, as I've talked about the grace of God this morning, maybe you just need to receive it. Maybe you say, you know what? Life is short. I know that one day that I'm going to leave this world and I'm not sure where I'm going to spend it. 
And I know I've messed up a lot. I know I've blown a lot. I have sinned a lot. But Doug, what you're saying today is that God's grace is bigger than my greatest sin. Exactly what I'm saying. And all you have to do is receive it this morning. Just by saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me my sins. I ask you to take over my life, to be my boss and my master, and to save me. And if you will pray that, the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. So wherever you find yourself this morning, would you respond? Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's just celebration. Maybe it's receiving what God has done. You can do that in a number of ways this morning. This morning, I'm going to have Jason and Kelly going to be over there. If you need somebody to pray with you, they love to pray with you. And Don and Terry are going to be on this side by the curtains. If you need somebody to pray with you, they would love to. Or if you want to come to the altar and just get before God and just do business, do so. But if you're going to make a decision today, of acceptance of Christ, our need for baptism, would you grab those response cards in your, your rows there, and would you just take a moment and fill it out and drop it in the offering bin? Because I would love to know the decision you made so I can encourage you on that journey. But here's the thing I pray for. However God has spoken to you this morning, let's not leave this morning the same as we came in. Do you agree with that this morning? Let's do business with God only as God can do business with us. Let's all pray together. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together. God, I thank you for today. And God, I thank you for this passage. And God, I know that sometimes when we read narrative stories in Scripture, that we're looking for Disney kind of endings. Like, and they lived happily ever after. But that wasn't Cain's story. And God, I, I, there's times I wonder, when you spoke to Cain, if, if there could have been a pause button hit there. As a Cain, do you understand the ramifications of all that's going to happen by the choice you're about to make? But God, he still chose the way of sin. And he chose not to do what was right, and sin consumed him, pounced on him, and overtook his life, and he killed his brother, and he covered it up. But God, even through the pain of what Cain did, you still extended your grace. God, and if there's ever a story we can look at and go, we understand what grace is, it's through this story. Because there's no way that Cain deserved your love, but yet you demonstrated it to him. So God, I pray for us this morning. I pray for believers first. That we would ask ourselves, are we at a crossroads? Are we giving you the best of what we have in our marriages? In our relationships? In our parenting? In our jobs? In our finances? Are we giving you the best in our devotion? And if not, God, we would repent of that this morning. We would repent and make a change. But then, God, I pray for some of us that we would make a commitment to greater level of obedience in those areas. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not giving it all that we should and that we would commit to a level of obedience like we've never had before. And then, Lord, I pray for some of us, maybe we could just this morning just be still in this moment. Be silent and celebrate your grace. Celebrate, as Paul would say, that he was the chief of sinners, but yet he knew your grace all too well. That while we don't deserve it, you offer it anyway. And that God, I pray for believers that we would never get over your love for us. And so maybe this morning as we sing, maybe we just need to wallow in that. Maybe we just need to, to let our, our lives simmer in your grace this morning. But then God, I pray for that person or those two that need to receive your grace, that this morning they would give their life to Jesus. 
God, would you have your way with us? Would you lead us and guide us and direct us this morning? May we be faithful to respond how you've moved in our hearts in this moment. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, as you feel led to move, Jason and Kelly be right over here. Don and Terry be right over there. If you need somebody to pray with you, this altar's open. However you need to respond this morning, would you be faithful to respond to the Lord? Listen, isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth it? Sure he is. And we take this time as an opportunity to express ourselves to him as we sing.